Love talk on Pastor Rolls Ivy. Yes, you can hear it in my voice. I've got this whole allergy situation. So, so let me tell you how this all gets started. So, when I was at bar, I had the salad with the candied walnuts, which I didn't know there were candied walnuts in the salad. I'm not allergic to salad or walnuts. I'm allergic to butter, and butter is used to candy walnuts. And so it's because of that I'm sick. Uh, but it's not a bad sickness because I got a whole cocktail of medication. Uh, but it's enough to, to slow me down and give me a little bit of uh, uh just it just I know I'm in an uh, uh, allergy episode, a dairy allergy episode. So that's why, you know, when I go places, I gotta, I gotta uh I got to go deep and figure out what's what, what's what. I didn't know there was walnuts in the salad because you couldn't see them. So when I got it on my plate and I ate them, I was like, oh, there's candy. So I didn't eat any more salad. I stopped right then and there. And uh, I mean, it wasn't enough to save me, but so I'm, so I'm suffering a little bit and uh, a little sluggish, uh, a lot of pain, but that's, I mean, we push on, right? I've been, I've been, uh, confronting this dairy allergy for the better part of my adult life. So it's not new. What What is new is that um, uh, this episode hasn't crippled me. Like it usually, you know, in the past, I'd be down. Like I wouldn't even be able to be up right now. So so this is, this is a plus. So anyway, I hope you all are well. Uh, I am well considering... So let me let me take you back old school. Good morning, Harry. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, all the people at WH. Good morning, all the people in their car who's driving and listening to me. Yeah, it is a little bit of a, a a struggle to talk. Not not a terrible struggle, but you know, I could feel myself getting out of breath. So that's just a, a one of the one of the perks of having a severe dairy allergy. Uh, your lungs fill with mucus, and so your lungs get very heavy, and uh, and so I'm having that. So I, I've got my inhaler. I had a couple of puff puffs last night. I got some med. I got a cocktail, so I had some of that. So I'm I'm up. I'm good. So anyway, today is uh, October 16th, and let me let me take you back to the weekend. So I always take you back to like I don't know Thursday. Uh, which was really, really nice. So uh, Thursday was the 12th. Uh, I hosted the conversation for Black Barbie documentary, which just got picked up by Shondaland. So they are re-editing that thing and it's going to come to Netflix. Woohoo! So you'll get a chance to see it. And so I had a good a good chat with the uh, producer and uh, it was wonderful. So... 
nice conversation. Uh, so that was Thursday night, and it was raining. It's been raining every weekend for like months. And then Friday the 13th, which was good. Uh, I don't know what I did on Friday. Somebody have to, I don't have it in my calendar, so I couldn't tell you where I was. I know I was with my, my law school coach, so maybe I was home. Oh, God, I don't even know where I was. So anyway, so that was that. Saturday, I spent the whole day at the Afrofuturism Summit at Next Haven. And I got to have a conversation. Uh, one of the uh, one of the breakouts was a conversation I had with um, uh, Keem Hewley, who uh, owns Bronze in D.C., which is an Afrofuturism, uh, a Black Afro, well, Afrofuturism is Black, uh, restaurant in D.C. called Bronze. And so uh, he cooked some really beautiful mushrooms. Uh, but his luggage got, his luggage didn't make it onto the flight uh, from D.C. to New Haven. So uh, so he had to go to the stopping shop and get some stuff. Oh, Friday. Thank you, Ife. Friday we went to see... Uh, um uh Marin Jones's uh film The Kings of The King of Kings. Now this damn film was fascinating. And we thought we were late, but we made it just in the nick of time. So these three brothers in Chicago, uh the jo Jones, the Joneses, and uh uh they ran a numbers racket, which was called policy. Now, nobody was messing with them. Police wasn't messing with them. Nobody was messing with them. This is in the 1920s, somewhere around there. So, uh, oh, uh, that, you know, before prohibition. So, so policy was, and if you, you, if you, if you grew up black in any inner city kind of vibe, numbers is a big deal. So they, uh, their father was a big time preacher. They lived in Mississippi. They were well-to-do black people in Mississippi. But some mess jumped off, as always does with white people who don't want you to have nothing. And so uh, they ended up packing up their stuff and leaving it under the cloak of darkness, fleeing to uh, Chicago. And they set up in Chicago. And so uh, one of the, they were all well-to-do educated brothers, uh, but, uh, one brother wanted to go to law school, wanted to go to med school, got into med school, had a tough time because, you know, white people and their mess. So uh, they they needed a, a, a avocation. So they knew numbers was happening. So they got into the numbers game and organized it and structured it and was respectful. They were known for paying on time, treating people well, not playing games and they made a lot of money a lot of money like boo boo cobs of money or what we used to say boo cool money boo cool money and uh and the story was about the uh the grand she's the granddaughter she's a granddaughter telling this story about her family which started out you know how we look up family stuff we started out looking up family stuff and her grandmother never told them the story about this life and this money and this family is spread out around the world. 
because of these three brothers that was running this number game. So, of course, white people, the mob gets involved, wants to muscle in, and the mob is, you know, pure violence. All they do is bring violence. So, of course, they bring violence to the door, and uh, they leave again. This time they run to Paris. They stay in Paris until the war breaks out, and then they got to come the hell back to the United States. The United States was not welcoming. They hung out here for a while, still running the numbers game, more mobsters and their foolishness. Then the police get involved. Then the government gets involved because white people want money. So um, then they flew to South America, opened up a successful businesses in South America. I mean, it's just a fascinating, fascinating and it's well done. So it's produced by Quincy Jones, who grew up with these people, not related to them, but his father, his father and grandfather ran numbers with these cats. So they all came up together. So he's good friends with the grandmother because they were kids together. It is a beautifully done story. I enjoyed talking to her uh, so much. I didn't host the conversation. I wished I would have um, because that would have been good. And listen, these black folks, unlike the mob, unlike the organized crime, uh, of today and yesterday, these brothers, they took care of the whole community. They didn't just like live well. They wanted everybody in the community to live well. So if you needed your rent paid or whatever, whatever, they do all this stuff, make sure there was food, make sure the schools had what they needed. They did all this stuff. So I, this, the story is the precursor to how we have organized uh, lottery system. It was because of the policy and the policy meaning this numbers racket that they were doing um, was the precursor to what we call the state lotteries today. They they are the architects of that. You know, you couldn't even be mad at them, right? You could I couldn't even be mad at them. It was a it's a it's an amazing, it's an amazing story. So if you get a chance to watch it, <coughs> it's the king of kings. And I think she started to tell the story because she went back to Chicago to find out more about them because she didn't want this, you know, she just couldn't believe her grandmother's story. Not that she couldn't believe her grandmother's story, but she wanted to know, she wanted to go back to where it all began. The buildings are still standing. All the stuff is still standing. So it's a fascinating story. So she 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 lives in uh, uh, France, in Paris, uh, but she's got relatives in South America, They've got, they found relatives, descendants of these three black men, this, their, her, her father, her, I mean, her grandfather and her grandfather's brothers, all the way to Australia. That's how far and wide the roots go. You know, because when people leave, they go, they settle, whatever, they marry, they intermarry, they do all this stuff. So that was fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. I'd like to see it again. It was so well done. It, it, it feels like a graphic novel, like you're watching a graphic novel. That's how entertaining it was. And uh, fabulous. So, so it was produced by Debbie Allen and uh, Quincy Jones. Uh, but it's so well done. So that was that was Thursday night. And that opened up the film festival, the New Haven Docs Film Festival. It was great. Wonderful crowd of people. Um, they had food and wine, all that kind of stuff. It was like their gala. Uh, and then Friday the 13th, uh, no, no. Thursday was the Black Barbie. 
Friday was the King of Kings, the film film that we saw. And then Saturday, we spent the whole day at Next Haven for the Afro um, Afrofuturism Summit, which was so well done. High five, Winnie the Sunday. She should be in the bed today, sleeping her ass off. It was an amazing day of Black Think, Black Talk into the future uh, with a nod to the past, right? Like no one like didn't talk about the past, but you know, you square yourself in the future, thinking about us in the future. So it was it was beautiful. The keynote, uh, Dr. Anderson from uh, wherever he was from, it was great. I was I was so impressed. I could tell you what it was. Uh, uh, they had some great Dr. Ronaldo uh, Anderson. He was the keynote, and then they had Young Black and Out of This World, which was uh, Shaw and uh, uh, and a couple of young sisters on the stage talking about you know Young Black and Out of This World, how to be creatives. You know, just really talking about how to be creatives in this space. Um, there was a Finding Your North Star workshop, which I didn't attend, but I think Ife went to. She thought it was really, really good. Um, two o'clock, there was Building a Black Tomorrow. Then there was a, they had a bunch of DJs, which was really nice. All girl, uh, a couple of DJs. They were, they were slaying. So it was really nice. Black in the metaverse, um, exploring fu futurism through, Afrofuturism through food. That was my talk my conversation with um, Keem. So it was really, it was a really impactful day. Then they had a, a, a black ass lounge downstairs so you could go and play games. You could chill. You could, um, they had some print, some screen printing happening. So if you want to learn how to silk screen and all that kind of stuff, they was doing that. Uh, I mean, it was great. There was a food truck outside, uh, cool runnings, Caribbean folks. So, I mean, they had food, they had snacks water it was it was well done it was well well done i enjoyed it very much um and then uh at the end of the day they had a a closing uh speaker uh let's see her name was uh her name is uh ingrid lafleur who uh spends all her time talking about uh afrofuturism uh, i believe she's a professor at a university and she she uh spends her time talking about Afrofuturism and, and and building steps toward doing that in communities. So so that was nice. So there was the Third Space Arcade Lounge. Uh, there was a printmaker screen, screen printing. Uh, and then there were vendors. Oh my God. There was the only the only vendors that I didn't buy anything from was uh key books, because I can't buy another book. Lord Hammers, I just bought a book from uh, Possible Future. So I can't buy any more books. I keep saying that, but yet I buy books. Got to be a 12-step program somewhere in the world for uh, my name is Babs. And uh, I'm a I'm a chronic book buyer, addictive book buyer. And then so, uh, so it was uh, Warm Jungle, Ashley the Creator, Herbal Jones. I bought the minty tea. This is what I'm drinking this morning. I, Cause I already have tea from her that I got from some other event. Uh, I think I got the tea that I got from her from uh, um, Elm City Lit Fest. I think it was Lit Fest, or maybe it was Black Wall Street. It was one of them. Was, she was somewhere, and I bought I bought a tea, and I like it. So I I was I was walking by, and I said, "Listen, what you got for the morning?" She's like, "I got just a thing. Got some Egyptian mint." 
So it was minty morning tea. So I've been drinking it ever since. So I love it. And then uh, my sorrow, pretty Africa. I brought some earrings. Let me, let me, I think I could put my hands on them. Oh no, I can't, they're too high up. But I bought two pair of earrings. Cause you know, I this, books and earrings, that's my weakness. That I, if, if, if I was a spy and they needed to bribe me, earrings, earrings and books would do it. And, and vegan cheesecake or something like that. Like that would, that would make me tell you anything. So, uh, so pretty Africa, I brought a whole bunch of incense because they were like two for five dollars and she was burning these incense and they had the whole building smelling amazing. So I was like, oh, I've got to get. So they were like two for five dollars. So I got four. Uh, and then my Kita bead and soul. Let's see. Uh, there was a sister selling plants. I didn't want to risk plants. I've had, I got two plants and it takes everything I have to just to keep these two alive. So I didn't want to add a third one, even though three is my lucky number. I didn't want to add a third one and not pay no attention to it. And she was like, oh, you only have to water it once a month. And then you wouldn't have to transfer it out of the glass vase until a year. And I was like, mm, even though those odds sound good, I find some way to mess that up. So I was like, uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. Don't do it, girl. I'm not going to do it. Don't do it, girl. I'm not going to do it. And swear to God, I didn't do it. So it was good. It was really, really a wonderful day. It was a rainy day, a cool day, but it was nice. So that was Saturday. And then after that, I went home. I was supposed to go to a party. My good friend, um, Carissa, threw a party. And uh, by the time I got out of the Afro Afrofuturism Summit, it was like 8 o'clock. And uh, I just was wore out. And I was already starting to beginning to feel how I sound now. I was already the beginning. I mean, I had a cough, the whole thing. But I didn't feel like I needed to lay. I, I didn't feel like, because when I'm sick, let me tell you, it's a it's a thing. It's a whole thing. But because I'm on these these new cocktails, it's, it lessens the effect of the allergy. So, so I was already starting to feel this way from uh, Wednesday when I had what I had. Uh, and I was trying to beat it back. But anyway, so we left out Friday. I was just so tired. I was like, I'm just going to go home. And then I've got all this law school application stuff that's hanging over my head. So I was like, all right, let me let me just go. I'm not going to make this party. Uh, I got up. Uh, I didn't go to the party Saturday night. Got up Sunday, though. Uh, we knew we were going to go to uh, Amplify the Arts because Amplify the Arts was Saturday and Sunday. We knew we was going to be there Saturday, so we went Sunday. And we knew we was going to stay at Amplify the Arts for a little bit because uh, the Perfect Blend was doing uh, the 17th Annual Legendary Women's Luncheon and Scholarship Banquet, which Ife this year um, uh, is a recipient. So, of course, they had to go sit at the table, do all that, eat some food out there at the, at the uh, Birchwoods Banquet Facility. Uh, so that was what, so that was, so that was my Sunday. That's what I did all weekend. So it was a bunch of women that were honored this year, which was lovely. Diane X. Brown from the Stetson Library, Ife Michelle, Carol Jenkins, Andrea Lobo and her mama, Rosalind Lobo, uh, Overseer Dorothy Mewborn, uh, Rudine Ray, Mamie Smith, Lillian Townsend, who is my soror, and, um, and uh, uh, Joylyn Walker. <laughs> I think that's right. No, 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 no. I got that wrong. Lillian is not my sorrow. I don't think so. 
I'm wrong. Anyway, anyway, it was a wonderful day. And it was nice. It was, And it went very well. So uh, I sat at the table with uh, Ife's nieces, who are very, very beautiful young women. They're sisters, and they look so much alike. You know, uh, they have different complexions, but they are equally, equally beautiful. Stunning, stunning. I'm staring at them. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're so beautiful. Uh, and so, you know, some young people got awards, uh, some scholarship money. You know, it was good. So here's the here's the brochure. I don't know. I, I, and they, and they were, they were kind enough to uh, acknowledge those of us who were, uh, who had gotten the, the Imaginary Women's Award previously, and they gave us roses. So I stuck mine in the vase in the kitchen. Uh, that was a nice touch. You know, you don't often get that, so it was nice. So um, Jeanette Sykes is out here giving sisters their, their, uh, their flowers while we are alive and well. Here's my little badge from, uh, the the. The Afro Summit. It was good. I had such a good time. So the New Haven Docs uh, Film Festival is still going on. I am doing a talk back uh, uh, again uh, sometime this week. <laughs> uh, Wednesday. I'm doing a talk back Wednesday on another particular film. Don't ask me. I, I got to look it up. I'll let you know tomorrow. But I'm doing another talk back, which is fine. I listen, I talk for a living. I love it. Not a problem for me. So and tonight I am uh I am uh uh doing a, a conversation uh through the narrative project with um uh, solving Connecticut's eviction crises. Because apparently we are having a crisis. So we're gonna talk about it tonight with some heavy hitters from around the, the state who work on this. On, on these issues and matters uh, all the time. So we're going to talk about that tonight. So it's virtual. So if you want to log in, um, go to the narrow pro 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 project, Mercy Quay. It's up on the, it's on the internet. The flyers up on the internet. I've been posting it. So it should have a good, uh, a good vibe. So, so that's good. I mean, you know, that's a good vibe. So, so that's my weekend. I had a great weekend. Uh, let me tell you, the Amplifier Arts was uh, amazing. Let me tell you something. I got, I got this. You know, I'm enamored of uh, Linda Mickens because you know I love her work, and uh, and she gave me a, a angel. I got an angel. Another one. Now I've got four. And this thing is so, I, and I picked this one. I was going to buy it because I like the pink buttons on it. It's just pretty. You know, I, I love these play on colors. And uh, she wrapped it up and here it is. Here she is. So uh, I just love her so much. So here's my angel. So now I got to get all these babies hung up. Now, 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 because I told her every time I see her when she's somewhere, I'm going to uh, buy an angel because, you know, this is the art that I want to collect. That's it. This is the art that I want to collect. And, uh, you know, and this one was like, I don't know, $45 or something or other. So I was prepared to buy it, but she gifted it to me because she, she believes I did her a kindness of some sort. You know, I don't know if I did her a kindness as much as I conveyed information. 
Oh dear. Ah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I should have quieted my mic, but you know, I can't get there fast enough. Uh, couldn't get there fast enough. So what's the Jan Janelle Monet film? Oh, 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 oh. So the Sixth Dimension is still going on. So they're showing the film at Best Video on Thursday. Um, the Jan and if you've not seen I've seen it uh, uh, when it first aired. But if you've not seen it, it would probably be nice to go see it and uh, be in community with people uh, while uh, uh, while you're watching it because it's a very Afrofuturistic film. I I like it. It's 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 a it's a fine piece of work. So it's going to be at Best Video. So make your way over there and see it. Uh, Best Video is a little treasure. Uh, thank you, Ife. Um, Dr. Anderson is from Philadelphia. Thank you for that. For that. Uh, so. That was a, it's a good film. So if you, if you have time Thursday, go see it. Uh, I I might be able to get over there. Uh, we'll see. I, this week has got a lot going on, but doesn't every week though. Let me drink a little of my tea, my minty, minty tea, Egyptian mint. I don't, I don't know if that makes a difference. At 10 o'clock, 10, 15, I've got, um, I've got Ash Fear coming on. Now, if you don't know Ash Fear, and I didn't until till uh, I got turned down by the the Schwartzman Center, but she's been commissioned to uh, do a project at the Schwartzman Center. And uh, oh my gosh, this is a lot right here. Oh my, uh, uh, and. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about her and about this particular project. <clears throat> so she's uh, she's going to be uh, on campus at, at the Schwartzman Center, and she's doing a listening gym, and it's an interactive sound art installation and a live musical performance. So she's doing this on the 21st, through the 28th, she's going to be doing this. So they, the Schwarzman Center commissioned this project. It's curated uh, by artist in residence Bryce Desner. Um, and, and so guests can work out in the listening gym, consume themselves in the visceral sounds of Fures. I hope that's, I hope that's how you say her name, Fures animal performance or both. The project features full body sonic machines that function like a sensory circuit workout. You press, you lift, you lean, you lie, you exercise your animal capacity to sense. And then she performs live on a custom gym rig at a designated, at designated show times throughout the run and a team of listeners works the circuit with the crowd in the wild acoustics of the dome at the Schwartzman Center. So I, I don't even know how to, I don't know beyond what I just read, what this even means. So anyway, Fuhrer holds a PhD in music composition from Harvard. 
She is an associate professor of music at Dartmouth. She is a co-artistic director, directs the industry. Uh, she's won a Guggenheim Fellowship, a Rome Prize in Music, two Lincoln Center Emerging Artist Award, a Foundation for Contemporary Arts Grants for Artists, a DAAD Artist in Berlin Prize, a Fulbright Fellowship in to France, uh, a Darmstadt uh, Cranesteiner Music Prize at a Busoni Prize, a Stuttgart Prize, and a Mellon Postdoctoral Fellowship from Columbia University. I don't, what the hell? So uh, they, they're going to rock out. I, that's some stuff. So anyway, she's stopping. She's making a pit stop at the Schwarzman Center. And uh, it's impressive. I can't wait to talk to her. That's, she's got to be some level of genius brilliance. All that? I, all of that. So I'm, I'm interested in hearing about this whole new sound kind of experience. People are all about this sensory stuff. I'm telling you. So, so that was the week. I'm telling you, I so enjoyed uh, being at the Eli Whitney Barn on Sunday. That was so fabulous. All that art. I, I just really need to have means because if I had means, I would really be a bigger patron of the arts and just do stuff just for the sake of art. You know, I would create my own place where artists can just do their thing you know for free it's like I wouldn't charge a damn thing I would just create a space and they could just be in residence forever and ever and ever whoever and you know we just create some space for artists to just do their thing that's I, that's what I want you know because that's the only thing that's going to save us seriously because the world is uh let, let me let me just say this to get this off my chest as I know everybody is enamored, not enamored, everybody is holding their breath about what is going on in Israel and the Gaza Palestinians. And uh and people are uh taking sides. And I, you know, if you're not taking the side of humanity, you are really just you're just fury. Okay. Ash's name is Fury. All right. I I figured as much. Thank you. Uh I I I was uh I've been thinking about this. I've not really talked about this whole Israel Gaza foolishness that's going on. It's at this level of violence and destruction, it's just painful to watch. And people want to take sides as if there's some side to take in this. Let me let me this is let me get to the truth of something right now. Let me tell you something. Israel, white folks don't like y'all neither. I I know this is hard to hear. White folks, Western white folks in particular, don't like you, and Muslims don't like you. All right, Muslims, Palestinians, they don't like you either. White folks particularly Western white folks don't like y'all either. So here's what I propose. Since y'all got so many enemies in the world, why don't y'all get together and be a strong, united something or other? I don't care if it's two states, eight states, get on one accord because y'all don't have any real friends in the world. Neither one of you have friends in the world. Neither one of you. 
Because let me tell you how I know you don't have friends in the world. Because when when Hitler was marching and was and was marching uh, uh, Jewish people to 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 concentration camps, the Western world. How long did it take for them to come to your to your aid? Did they ever come to your aid? Really? In the end, right? So that ought to tell you right there. You don't have any friends in the world except each other. Uh, Muslims, you already know that the world is is an anti-Muslim sentiment everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, people don't like Muslims. I know people will say, oh, that's not true. Show me where it's true, where it's not true. Show me where it's not true that people really care about Jewish people and really care about Muslims. Nowhere in the world is does that happen, right? Except in their respective communities. They care about themselves and their communities. But the world as a whole is not caring about y'all. So you could keep doing this and playing in, into the hands of the West because these wars are not serving you. They're not serving your people. They're not serving your God. They're not serving your country. They're not serving the land you stand on. It's not serving you. So keep killing each other and it's going to be last man standing. So yeah, you could keep lobbing bombs. Somebody's giving Palestinian bombs. Somebody is giving Israeli bombs. Y'all got people who are happy to feed you weapons, but not happy to serve you peace. Happy to serve you weapons, but not standing there to give you peace. Not coming in there saying, let's stop this. Now, yeah, now people, people on the surface will say, we have to come together. But who's behind the scenes working on this with you? Everybody's making statements. You got that dumbass DeSantis running around saying all these things about Palestinians. He wouldn't know a Palestinian if one came up and slapped him upside the head. He wouldn't know a Muslim if one came up and slapped him upside the head. And for him to stand up there and talk about anti-Semitism, shut up. You're not helping a damn. You know what you could do? Go take care of what's going on in Florida and make Florida the best possible state. But you're not doing that. You're trying to be president, which you will never be. You're not going to be president. So to my Jewish friends and my Palestinian Muslim friends, let me tell you something. Y'all have enemies on both sides who don't want to see you work for peace. That's the God's honest truth. So you could keep fighting. You could you could believe, oh, we're gonna stop our Hamas. No, you're not. Not gonna do it. You're not gonna do it. You know how you stop out? You cannot, you cannot meet these people. You cannot meet terrorists with terroristic tactics. That's not gonna work. What you can do though is find a way to get harmoniously on one accord. That's what you gotta do. And you gotta tear down these damn walls because walls. Do not build community. Walls, fences, they do not build community. And you know it. We know it. Every, every, everywhere around the, the world knows it. So that's all I'm going to say on this. So until we are ready to sort of see each other as human, we're going to keep having these fights. And these fights serve no one. There's no winners here. I don't care what people think. There are no winners here. And people could get in their feelings about, oh, this is an atrocity. Yes, of course, this is an atrocity. All right. At the end of the day, all of it is atrocities. All of it. There's no more atrocities on the on the on the Israeli side than on the there's kids dying in Israel and in Palestine. And if you cannot see that, 
then you've lost your sense of North Star. You've lost your moral compass. So I just want to say, listen, you both got enemies and Western enemies who don't want to see you peaceful. They don't want to see you peaceful. And as long as you play into that, y'all going to have this fight, this fight, this fight. You're going to be fighting. for you, What you going to do? So it's going to calm down. You're going to build up. 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 Israel's going to rebuild itself. I don't even know if Palestine is going to be able to re to build up, but some other somebody will come in and help them build something or whatever. And then the conflict goes because the conflict is outside conflict. If y'all got together and sat down, tore down walls, broke some bread, you know, and, and really had a conversation about how we could live together, how we could live together, then that would shut down all this Western influence and all this other influence, all this other Middle Eastern influence that is not serving you. Wars do not serve people. They just don't. What they do is they leave a great deal of death and destruction, a great deal of death and destruction. And, uh, you know, it's it's just not the it's just not the answer. And in this day and age, it is not the answer. It's not the answer. So I don't want I I, I don't want to have these conversations because you know I I listen to my Jewish friends and they and they try to have some restraint in talking to me because they know they sound crazy when they start this whole oh look what's happening to us. And I'm like, do you see me? I'm a black woman in America. I'm sorry, I'm a black woman in America. From where I sit, I was looking at people, not black people, fighting and not understanding the fight. So please don't try to come to me with, well, this is what we're up against. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> well, from where I sit, I y'all need to, it seems to me that y'all just need to get together and have a conversation and keep working toward some solutions. Because as long as you're able to talk to each other, you could get to solutions. But you cannot talk and throw bombs. You just can't. You can't it doesn't work that way. How how much do you? So you either you want to wipe either both of y'all, both of y'all want to wipe each other off the face of the earth. You just want to wipe each other off the face of the earth. Is that fair to say that both sides want to want to? wipe each other off the face of the earth. Why? I know why, but until you get to that, y'all got to stop this mess. This is terrible because listen, there's going to be people out there that's going to feed. They're going to give you weapons. They're going to feed weapons to you. They're going to make it difficult for you to have aid. People are going to take sides. You know, that's just what it is. But y'all can shut all that down. <coughs> If you come to the peace table, it could be done. It could be done. I, I'm I'm on the side of humanity here. I I ain't taking nobody's side. I'm a black woman in America. What side I'm taking? What side am I taking? I I don't got no dog in that fight. Not one. But I am a humanitarian, and I believe that we can live together. I believe it, even though every day. In this country, in this country, America says we don't like niggas. So I know something about not being liked and not being not being seen as 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 legitimate. I get it. I hear you. I hear it on both sides. I see it. I hear it. 
I hear it. I hear it. So I'm not saying this because I'm trying to have some simple solution. I'm saying it begins with sort of thinking about who is benefiting from y'all fighting like this? Who benefits? You're not benefiting when your people go down. You no, Neither side is benefiting when their people go down. So yeah, you got a beef with terrorism. The whole world has beef with terrorism. We all got beef with terrorism. We don't like terrorists. We don't like it. I don't, listen, I don't like the KKK, skinheads, proud boys, none of these cats. And they're American grown terrorists. I, I don't got no love for them. You know, I don't. So I get it. I get it. And I and I and I I get how the Palestinians feel occupied. I listen, don't listen, don't get mad by 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 them saying that because that's their experience. Hear that and then work towards solutions. And then Israel, y'all are mighty, but you wasn't too mighty not to see this coming. So that means somebody is not on your side. I'm just saying. Y'all, both of y'all got enemies. Both of you got enemies. Historically, you got enemies. And as long as y'all keep fighting, somebody else benefits from this. Somebody. It's not y'all. You're not benefiting. Palestinians are not benefiting. Israelis are not benefiting. This is just destruction. I see Israeli parents crying for their children. I see Palestinians parents crying for their children we just got tears and i and let me tell you this when them tears hit the ground who knows what's israeli or palestinian tears they just tears they just tears so work towards solutions and stop this destruction because there's no winning here there's no winning here there's no winning wars there's no winning in wars there's only death and destruction death and destruction so come on you you can't distinguish the tears the, you can't distinguish israeli tears from palestinian tears they're tears there's no distinguishing when they hit the ground they hit the ground they wet and 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 y'all gonna drown in tears alike so i'm i'm on the side of humanity here because to get on the side doesn't get to solutions it just does not get to solutions in this particular situation in this particular situation there are times when you must take a side but this particular situation which has been going on for so long there's no side to take there is only there's only to get to get on the side of peace and 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 well-being for everyone you know that's that's the humanity part of it you know I, you cannot serve a god you cannot serve a god and throw rocks you just can't do it you can't serve a god and love bombs i know i know who am i i'm a black woman in america i know i, I i've seen what it's like to be hated i know what it is i, I know listen 400 years of this mess. I get it. But y'all can't win like this. And I need you to, you know, that's where I'm at. And, and, and sure, everything is political. I don't mind making things political. 
because when you make it political, you could dissect it. You could break it down to as low as common denominators, you know. But when people are yapping, you got to look at what their interest is. When all these people are taking sides and running their mouths and not not speaking peace over this, then you gotta you gotta ask what is their interest in this? What are they hoping to gain? You know, because if they're not about drying tears, then they're about they're about more destruction. That's what I believe. You know, so you you could you could you could you can't missile your way out of this. You can't missile your way out of these people feeling like they occupy. And and terrorists, you're not gonna terrorize these people because they're not gonna they're, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna stand in fortitude. So terrorism is is yeah, it, it's terrorism is terrorism. I get it, but these people are not gonna yield to 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 terrorism. They built for it. So, I, it come together, come together and work this out. Work it out. We need some. We need some real. See, that's why I wish Jimmy Carter was like forty years younger. So, I, I, and I wish, I wish Jimmy Carter was forty years younger. I wish Jesse Jackson was forty years younger. I mean, there's a whole bunch of peace, peace people out there that could get in there and bring people to the table and like at least stop, stop the 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 violence. Just at least shut that down so aid could get in there and, and then we could figure this thing out. Because I, I don't, I don't know where the peacekeepers are right now. I, I don't know where the peacekeepers are. I don't I don't know where they are. You know, I, I need a bishop tutu. See all the good peacekeepers have have are are uh, have aged out or have left this planet. You know, we need peacekeepers. We need Mother Teresa. We need all these people to to you know uh get over there and 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 start praying and start talking. I just it just pains me that that we we as humans are so willing to kill each other so willing so willing to kill each other so willing and and with good cause you know you know we'll we will explain away murder and wars with 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 great conviction we will we could do it we've done it <laughs> We're doing it, you know, we're doing it. So until we, until we start to say, uh, uh, we are every man and every man is us until I, until I can say, and listen, that's no easy feat because I, I, I am not interested in sitting across from white supremacists. That's not the work I'm called to do. I'm not interested in sitting breaking bread with Klansmen and skinhead and pride. That's not the work that I do. But there are people in the world who are willing to do that work. Do you see what I'm saying? Everybody can't do that work, but there are people who are willing to do that work. I'm not one of them. But what I am willing to do is have an open mind and say, let us call to order. Let us get ourselves in communion. I'm, I, I can do that. And then the people who do that peace work, I get out the way and let them do the peace work. And that's what we need in this Israel-Palestine war. We need peacemakers to come in and calm heads and hearts, not feed them more weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> oh, you need more guns. 
You need more ammunition. Oh, you need this rocket. Oh, you need to go and do this. Oh, you need to get on the ground. You can really kill people. Because that's what you're going to do. You're going to go and just slaughter people left and right. And there's no right to this. I just, I don't, why can't we be better humans? What is this? I know. I, my attentions are, are, are I, listen, we have the capacity to think about a great many things at once. So I can think about what is happening here in the United States, as well as pray uh, for what is happening in in the in 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 the Middle East, and and I can also turn my attentions to parts of Africa where there's fighting going on, right? Where folks is trying to expel the French. <laughs> I'm not condoning. I'm not condoning any kind of violence, because we're the only animals on the planet that are blessed with language, of spoken language, and we don't use it. We're not using it, and we have the skill set. So I I just I just I need peacemakers. I need an arm I don't even want to say army because I hate that word too. We we need we need a gathering of peacemakers to start the peacemaking process. Not people to stand up and declare a side. That's not needed. It might make people feel some kind of way, but that's not what's needed here. What's needed is Real peacemaking, real attempt attempts at peacemaking and 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 cool cooling heads and not more bombing and destruction and tears. That's that's not what we need. So so that's where I am with this. And I, I I've got I've got um folks who I care deeply about who are Jewish and I've got people that I care deeply about who are Muslim. I was married to a Muslim. Uh, I have dear, dear friends who are Muslim. I have dear, dear friends who are Jewish, and uh, and, and I and I know their hearts and minds. And 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 they are sick and troubled by these turn of events, and they are being prayerful about these turns of events. You know, uh, so I I know that, I know that, and and everybody is trying to be, uh, which is good because this is a, a test to our humanity, that we that we listen to our Jewish sisters and brothers and hear what they're saying, and at the same time we listen to our Muslims, our Muslim brothers and sisters and hear what they're saying, you know, and 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 once once. Everybody has said what they needed to say and and put their put their their pain and suffering on the altar on on all the altars. Then we could get to some peace brokering. Then we could work toward peace. Because war is not the answer. It's just it's just not. It's wars are not sustainable. You know, they're just not sustainable. They're expensive, they're labor intensive. The loss of life alone ought to make us say never again. The loss of life alone, you know, uh, we should say never again. So I, I would say pay attention to to all these declarations of sides and, and what these people get out of taking a side. 
if they're not taking the side of humanity in any of this? Who is benefiting from from this conflict, this war? Who is benefiting from this directly and indirectly? You know, who who got gains from this? Um, that's 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 what's on my mind. But the but I, I we have to we have to we have to uh, stop this suffering because this is all this is is suffering unnecessarily. Like this is this is not a, a environmental thing. This is not a natural disaster. This is a man-made calamity. People are doing this. Like people <laughs> are destroying people wholesale, wholesale. So this is on us. So anyway, um, Ash Fury is uh, up next. Who? See, I think she's genius. She's got to be genius with with all all the stuff that she gets to do and all the awards and stuff. She's got to be genius. I can't wait to talk to her. You know, and she seems relatively young. So I. I hope I'm not using mis, mis, misusing pronouns, uh, but they will come on and tell me what 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 they prefer. But Ash Fury, and uh, and I'm fascinated by this whole notion of sensory sound, gin, animal, you know what that looks like, and what the thinking is behind that. Like, like okay, what if I do this? What 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 am I gonna experience? Like, what's what's the deal? Give me the four one one. While I drink my tea, because I I'm just fascinated by this, and high five to the Schwartzman Center for trying to bring some of the coolish ish around. They just bring some of the coolest stuff. I don't I don't know if they're just like we we gonna look around and see what's out there and we dig it. So I'll be back at ten fifteen. Y'all hang out. Work it out. 
<clears throat> Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk. I'm waiting for my great guests to come, Ash Fury. I can't wait to talk to them to hear about all this uh, interesting concept of sound and sensory. So uh, I expect they'll be popping on any minute now. And uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Uh, we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, I'm feeling pretty good. The weather, although today I think the weather's going to be a little, a little bit challenging. Uh, I think rainy, not rainy, sunny, not sunny, that kind of thing. So let me, um, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Ash. I talked a little bit about her them they uh she uh, earlier in the first hour but i want to i want to go to her website so um so on her website ash ash fury is a sonic artist who blends uh uh installation and performance uh called purely visceral and staggeringly original by the New Yorker. Uh, Fury's full body sonic experiences work on the senses in startling ways. The recipient of two Lincoln Center Emerging Artist Awards, not one, but two, uh, and a Guggenheim Fellowship, a Rome Prize in Music Composition, a DAAD Artist in, Artist in Berlin Prize, a Foundation for Contemporary Arts Grant for Artists, a Fulbright Fellowship to France, a Stuttgart Composition Prize, a Darmstadt uh, Kronigsteiner Music Prize, and a Mellon Postdoctoral Fellowship for Columbia University. Fury holds a PhD in Music Composition from Harvard University, is Associate Professor of Music at Dartmouth College and was named Co-Artistic co Director of the Industry LA in 2021. So, uh, busy, 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 busy and celebrated. <coughs> Excuse my cough. Busy and celebrated. So I'm looking forward to uh, hearing about what animal is. And, uh, uh, it opened to a uh, uh, it opened a benefit concert for the kitchen at Town Hall Theater in New York on April twenty third of this year twenty twenty three, and uh, and and then there was a a long play on Sunday May seventh at the Mark Morris Dance Center. Uh, so there's she's busy busy. There's a lot going on here. Uh, so I'm 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 interested in hearing about how do you gather people to listen to music in this at this level, and what does that look like, and what does that mean, you know, and what is the expectation uh, of of uh, uh, and the experience of this kind of listening? I'm fascinated by it. So anyway, uh, I'm waiting for her to uh, pop in. And uh, join 
the discussion, the conversation. I don't I don't know if she's on the East Coast or the West Coast. I know she I know she's got her performances kick off on the 21st at the Portsmouth Center uh through the 28th. But I don't know if she's uh here or traveling or whatever. So I mean she she picked a a gorgeous time of year to come to Connecticut. It's it's, it's a lovely time of year. So we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> oh, okay. So uh they're just trying to uh uh just trying to figure out where where their artist is. All right, well we'll figure it out. We'll we'll make it happen. We'll figure it out. So anyway. Uh, until while they locate her, <laughs> she has the information. She can log in from anywhere. I hope she's not trying to go look for. Uh, she can log in from her phone. That's the beauty of all this virtual stuff. You can just log in from wherever you at, and uh, you know, be a part of the conversation. So, uh, so yeah, I don't. I didn't pull up any of her music from uh, YouTube or anything like that. Uh, so, uh, uh, so I, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it's, uh, I don't know what it's like because I haven't listened to it. I don't know if the, if, if it's something that I could pull up and listen to, they didn't send me any tracks. So, uh, so I'm just imagining that, uh, it's one of these things that you have to experience to experience it. So anyway. They do, they try to do some cool stuff at the Schwarzman Center. They're trying to bring some some uh some stuff that you ain't never seen before to the Schwarzman, which I kind of dig. Uh yeah, Maurice wants to jump on that. Yeah, come on. Maurice could jump on. Cause he could talk about this, because I bet you uh uh that would be helpful. That would be good. Yeah, so and he could talk about this kind of this kind of music because Maurice is an artist too and uh and uh uh innovative and doing interesting things with sound and visuals and senses so I I bet you he could talk about this uh uh all day so so I think Maurice is gonna jump on and we're gonna talk about this this uh this performance and <laughs> see see how it goes because I'm curious about it because I, I want to understand it. I want to understand what 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 it's about, you know. because uh, you know, it's it's one of these things where you just, you know, you you hear people doing innovative stuff that's never been done. And uh and you're like, wow. Uh and I'm fascinated by by people's artistic uh conceptualization of things, like how they how they figure out how to do this, you know. But they hear something, does something strike them? And, and it's like, you know, because, you know, when you listen to music anyway, you listen to it with your whole self. So, uh, so I'm fascinated by that. So Maurice will jump on and, and he'll set me right. <laughs> he'll get me, he'll get me thinking about this in just the right sort of way uh, so that I could, I could uh, wrap my brain around this and, uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully that'll, that'll work out. So. 
Yes, now. <laughs> That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh I'm I'm controlling the uh the, the weight room. Because Harry has to step away. So so here is Maurice. Who who had a who had a uh who is a musician in his own right and uh and uh loves to sort of uh uh, uh, is a great creator and innovator of sound. So, hey, Maurice, nice to see you. Hey, nice to see you again. Thank you for for jumping in and talking about this because you know, Maurice, I, I, if anybody would know about this kind of immersive music sensory kind of thing, it might just be you. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this immersive sensory thing. In fact, this has been. Um, uh, a long time coming for us, and I'm really excited to see what what Ash has created. Um, I don't know if you recall this because this was uh, wasn't very widely publicized, but Ash did get a chance um, last academic year to come in and explore the space, and um, even give a few members of the Schwarzman Center team a little sampling of the kind of work that they might do in a space as unique, acoustically unique as the dome. So I really think this is gonna be uh, a treat. Okay, so, so I mean, Ash has a, has a lot of credentials. <laughs> She's, I, I would imagine yeah. it's ge genius level kind of stuff, right? Like this is genius level kind of stuff. So, um, so you all commissioned this particular piece, it's called Animal? Animal, a listening gym. And um, so the animal um, component is the part that you will indeed need to experience. Um, the listening gym uh, piece, I think, is a, is a bit easier to explain, but also indeed something that is, uh, is, is going to be certainly worth uh, stopping by at the Schwarzman Center. So the listening gym, you know, you think about and it's often been described as a hit workout for the senses. You know, this idea of going into um, a gym and having these stations that are set up on these, these instruments, I'm gonna use hard quotes here, these instruments that um, are physically engaging and then um, bring the room alive with sound and can be played uh, in concert with one another as people are working out, so to speak, in the gym. Wow. Yeah. I, so have you, have, so you've not seen this happen yet. It's going to happen. I've seen a, a teaser of this happening. So I have a, a little bit of an idea on the Schwarzman Center website. You go to schwarzman.yale.edu under events and then click on um, Ash Gary. You will see the uh, there's a little video that you can play that will give you just enough to whet your appetite uh, to come in and uh, to come in and try it out on your own. So what was it about Ash Ferry that made y'all say commission a piece and come do it over here? Like what was right. it about so, that work? Yeah, so this particular work, uh, we were really fortunate that it came in through our uh, collaboration with Bryce Desner. As you may know, Bryce Desner has a multi-year residency, an artist in residence in music here at the Schwarzman Center. And Ash Fury was one of the artists that um, was um, curated, as we like to say, uh, by, by Bryce Desner here at the center. You may also remember um, prior to Ash Fury was uh, Natalie Joachin and Natalie Joachin, Yvonne Lamb, um, they sort of inaugurated the dome, their first public uh, with the first public performance there uh, with space, um, a, a beautiful, uh, more classically based piece. And now here we are on literally the opposite end of the spectrum with, so, with something that is very um, technologically involved, very contemporary, 
uh, but brought to us uh, by the same by the same curator, which is really interesting. So this is this is this is just a thing that the dome could shine in. I think so. I think so. I think that you know this is one of. So we've often described the dome as this black box theater, except white and round. Um, the idea of it being a very experimental space where these types of immersive performances uh, can happen or um, the type of performances that might be difficult to place anywhere else that really require a unique and unconventional space. Uh, and I think that this is a cer certainly an example of that. We're not talking about a performance that um, requires or really can even sort of be done in a traditional seated uh, environment, uh, something that does require sort of some openness and some flexibility for people to move around, for us to have the, uh, the objects that they can interact with um, in that space. So I think that this is definitely something that the Dome is, is really designed for. Wow. And so uh, Ash will be here from, I guess it kicks off on the 21st through the 28th? The 21st through the 28th. So um, the live performances for Ash, uh, if you go out to the schedule and you check out a live performance, click on that register link and you see that you are on the wait list, I would still strongly encourage sign up for the wait list, come out for the performance. Um, we're finding that we've had great success getting folks into the performances, even when the performances are waitlisted. But even beyond that, there is the so there's the live performance piece, but then there is the listening gym piece. We call it gym mode. So when uh, the exhibition or the instruments go into gym mode, um, any visitor can come in during any time that the gym is open, the listening gym is open and explore those instruments explore those scenes with um, either in a self-guided mode or with uh, other individuals there who are trained on the equipment. And I, I would say that a, a visit to the listening gym is roughly about 30 minutes. It's interesting. So this is like two things. You have the performance of Ash. Yes. Which is its own thing. And then yes. the gym performance, which is its yeah. own thing. Yes. Yeah. And there is a third thing. Uh, for those who may be even more interested in uh, some of the maybe some of the academic thought or some of the more technical aspects of the program, we, we also have a thing called Dancing About Architecture. So Dancing About Architecture mm -hmm. uh, for the Schwarzman Center has been an ongoing event series where we talk about um, where we put artists in conversation with uh, with folks from the academic community and professionals in practice around um their work and its relation to bodies in space and the architecture and how the architecture um, is designed in ways that um, either they have to you know, work against change or that work very much for them and can help them to produce these sorts of experiences for audiences. And so there will be an iteration of Dancing About Architecture with Ash that takes place on October 24th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. That also is on the event website, so folks can uh, register for that as well. Well, I knew if anybody could like set the tone for this conversation, it would be you, Maurice. So here's Ash. Hi guys, I'm so hey. sorry. We're in the midst of install and it just slipped my radar. So forgive so me. So you're just so you're just upstairs. We've been looking all over I, the corners I'm of the room. Yeah, but it's, so it's awesome. very loud out there. Um let me just quickly get these headphones attached once. You're great. Uh, I will stop by a little later and say hello, I, but I know okay, that you're here. Hi. Yeah. yeah, I was just telling um, Babs a little bit about, or at least what I know of the uh, of the coming engagement, a little bit about the 
listening Jim piece, a little bit about the animal piece, I had suggested that folks check out the preview on the website for a teaser of what's to come, but you may want to talk a little bit more about um, animal and the inspiration behind it. I feel like you are uniquely a position to talk about the inspiration. Sure, sure. And I'm happy to be here. So happy to meet you, Babs. Um, it is nice to meet you. Listen, I'm so impressed because you by what? By, by everything. I'm reading your bio on your website and I'm thinking Guggenheim and, and all the things. I'm like, you're like genius level kind of artist. Like, I don't know about that. I, I, I mean, appreciate that. Though. It's very impressive. So I just want to Thanks, thanks. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, a lot of those awards I got in a, a different phase in my career where I was working with string quartets and orchestras. And I've really, as I've grown as an artist, really wanted to find spaces where I can build my own instruments and create my own worlds and really work with sound, but in a way that's outside of that traditional format. Um, so it's been really incredible to be here in the dome room because we really get access to this space for two and a half full weeks. We're building out an entire installation that's really kind of enter an alternate universe. And as much as I love cellos and violins and have spent much of my life with them, there's not a single kind of icon of that Western music really in this space. It's it's fully alternate reality. <laughs> so oh my God, I can't wait to see. I'm, now I'm all excited, right? Okay, just, good, good, good. I just came <laughs> off an Afrofuturism summit. Amazing. So this oh, cool. very much in that realm of this universe that you can create and you're doing it with sound and sensory kind of kind of stuff yeah which is you know no no more direct way to the cosmos for me than through sound so <laughs> it oh feels gosh. like a futurist pro project for sure for sure all right so tell me tell me the name animal like what what does that have to do with anything yeah so um i have been my work has really been about the body for a very long time. Um, and what I mean is that it's a really, it works structurally on a visceral way. Like it pushes at the skin, it pushes at the gut much more than it's arranging notes into patterns and into structures like we might think of in, in more traditional music. Um, so visceral kind of sound has been at the core for a long time. Um, I think I've been thinking a lot lately um, inside of that focus on the body um, about I mean, really what the sensory capacities we have as animals means for this moment of collective risk um, and also on a species wide level collective risk and also really what being animal means in the face of chatbots and AI that's coming and all of this sort of, there's been some really interesting um, takes on, you know, the hubris of human exceptionalism and our distance from other species and from other sort of um, aspects of the ecology around us have have really been about this kind of like presumption of our cognitive superiority. Like we're more rational, we're more smart, we can solve problems faster, we have ethics, we have morals. And now we have these forces, um, these, these alien intelligences, these artificial intelligences that are vastly outperforming us already and will be more and more. Um, but they can't birth babies, they can't feel wind, they can't touch water, they can't, right? So there's this, this kind of turning towards our sensory capacities that feels very pressing right now. Um, and I think that's where the work you see that I'll be performing, um, the part of the experience that I perform, it's a 
highly, highly physical engagement. So yes, it's digital sound. Yes, it's electricity pumping through speaker cones. But the way I perform it is intensely athletic. And it's this really feeling my, yeah, my animal self kind of in this hyperly mediated moment. Wow. So, to, you know, since you brought up AI, I mean, do you, do you, are you one of these people that will embrace AI? Are you afraid of it? Do you fear it? Do you think we're going down a path? Do you think it needs to be contained or monitored or policed? Yeah, I think yes to all of those things. <laughs> and I'm also excited by the, the deep reflection that it, like the challenge it poses to our sense of self as humans. And I actually think that it can crack some light into, um, yeah, some rigid senses of what, what we are and why we are superior that could be really productive in turning us back towards a more relational frame and turning us back towards a more sense of um, our shared aliveness. So how did you come to this, this deep thinking about a, a different way to express sound and sensory? Like, how did you come to this? Like, what was the moment that shifted? Yeah, it's it's hard to pinpoint. I think in some ways, I've always had a really intimate relationship with sound. I mean, I've been composing since I was really, really young. Um, but I'm really nowadays, like, I mean, this is where I think there is an interesting link in the kind of, and you see this all across Afrofuturism, sort of speaking of Afrofuturism, but the way that this, like, forward-thinking links back cyclically to the ancient past or these kind of symbols from, you know, Egypt, if we're thinking about certain icons of Afrofuturism. But I too am like really interested in the way sound was used as really a species technology, like the way it was sound was in every ancient human culture, no matter the continent, there were practices of, around shared movement and around shared rhythm and shared sound that were used to fortify the herd and like increase cohesion, increase co-regulation and uh, enact catharsis and, and, and really these like intense sensory rituals that helped us come together. And um, I think are really a part of our strength as a species um, that coming together, you know, there's the famous kind of like human versus lion, good luck human, like lion versus a hundred humans, good luck lion, you know, like our only, only our, our strength is only in our ability to communicate and collaborate and enact this kind of shared trust and this shared planning. And I think that trust and that relationality is under siege right now is, is deeply fractured. I think we are, you know, our attention spans are under siege. I think we're radically disembodied and disassociated from our bodies in a way that is really, really, um, you know, making that, that ability to sense one another and really be with the risk of right now, this kind of urgent moment on our planet, even more, uh, it makes that even more out of reach. Mm. So this, Ash, this sounds very medical. Like this sounds like this could be used <laughs> in, in, a, in a healthcare situation because we, you know, we've all seen the studies where uh, people with a, a, a dementia or Alzheimer's, they might not remember people, but if you play totally. a piece of music and it brings them back to whenever they heard that music and totally. they are quite in that space. So it sounds like, that's what I hear when I'm listening to you talk about this music that puts us back into our 
our maybe our ancestral connections to the yeah. the earth a, a very, very indigenous feeling i think i mean yeah there is no greater wisdoms i think that we need to turn to right now than all of those <laughs> yeah ancient insights that i think and this is sort of what i mean about that like there's a lot of apocalypse in ai in terms of where it could take us but i also think yeah. it can it can turn us back into a kind of relationality with the living, with the sentient, with, with the stuff of earth that we can touch and be with um, in a way that like turns us back actually towards those ancient insights, which have been, you know, so obliterated by Western culture. So, so who is your audience, Ash? Like, like is, is there a lot of musicians out there that are, uh, uh, doing what you're doing? Like, are, are you part of a, a collective? Like, I mean, I, I heard Maurice play that whole um, sense, music, sensory, visual artistry. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time I've ever seen anything quite like that. <laughs> so, and I dug it. So you feel like, you know, you're in that vein, but maybe the ninth degree of that. So who who who's listening to you? So uh, to be totally honest, I'm in a kind of moment of creative evolution. Um, I really grew up through the kind of world of contemporary music. And I, so writing, making string quartets and orchestras sound as noisy as I could possibly make them sound. Uh, and I have a PhD in music composition. And so my early career was really um, working with ensembles, some of the finest in the land. And again, like I could get them to make really specific noise and elaborate, really elaborate, really um, intricate structures that I would notate on scores. But eventually I just felt too constricted by the kind of format of the concert music uh, ritual. So we have a piece and we clap and we have a piece and it's on the stage and the audience sits here. And, you know, those parts of the scripting really felt, um, yeah, they were holding me back. And eventually instead of just detuning a double bass string three octaves till it slapped against its sort of wood, the wood part of its body, I started, making 100 foot double bass strings that were made out of braided aircraft cable and like stretched up over these five foot bri um, styrofoam bridges. And those gave me these wild multiphonics and this just like scale of vibration that felt so much bigger than the human and like really felt like this, this ability for me to think past again, this maybe more 19th century or like the way we've thought about music as entertainment or as this edification of the elite and we go there to feel cultured and we go there to feel you know seen that that really emerges um in the 1500s and and that's and then kind of catalyzes in the 1700s and 1800s into those orchestral halls and this notion of this composer being separate from the performer and and yeah, I just, I wanted to break through all of that. So it's been a collective process. Um, there are some beautiful listeners and, and vibrational sound makers who will be with me in this performance, um, in this experience. It's really not a performance because the audience actively engages in the entire installation. Um, but one of them is a really brilliant vocalist and vocal artist named Samita Sinha, who 
also works with vibration, comes from a very different lineage, comes through Indian classical music and has studied Indian vocal traditions for many years, but similarly kind of took those traditions and broke them up into their most kind of primary vibratory DNA and works through that to activate this this vibratory field. So there are, I think, lone rangers that we find ourselves in the, wherever this netherworld is, but I would love it if you named a genre that this, this work kind of articulates because I'm not sure what that word is yet. You let me know after you experience it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I, now I, 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 I was intrigued because once I started reading about what you were doing, and what you are, what you are, it just sounds so groundbreaking and so innovative. Like, this is just like, from the musicians I know, this is where they want to be. They want to be in this place of, I'm really creating something outside the boundaries of what I've been taught. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I think I do. I like I it. think I do. And I think what I what I'm excited about this is the first time so I've been building my own instruments now and instruments, maybe even too small a word for what these things are. They, but they're, they're sound making machines. Um, <laughs> and what, what is special about them? One of the things that I find really special about them is that they're quite the phenomena that they produce are actually quite accessible in the sense that like, you don't have to have studied Bach, for, on the marimba for 15 years to be able to perform with these instruments. You can really just like walk up and touch and feel the polyrhythms emerge. And of course, there's a, you know, there's a range of familiarity. I think the way that I play them after having worked with them for years is of course, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a leap in, in kind of nuance, um, but they're quite immediate as sensations. And so I, this experience, the listening gym, is the first time I'm actually inviting the audience up to touch these instruments, to really engage them physically, to have agency in performing them together and listening together as this kind of emergent organism that's moving in the space, that has um, agency to make decisions in the space. So they are, I think, both in some other plane as a kind of instrumental force, but they're also really on the ground with us because you don't need a PhD from wherever to be able to, to, to make it happen. They actually, they they meet us right, right where we are, I think. Oh, that's good to know. So that, so people won't be afraid to be like, oh, I don't think I feel qualified to like touch No, it. no, no. <laughs> no. All right. Okay. So the performance begins or the experience begins uh, October 21st and it runs that's through- right the 28th and then all between there there's you're going to be performing and then people can have the gym experience without having you you know be the gym instructor (laughs) exactly yeah so there's like show mode and gym mode is sort of how we're thinking of the space oh i love it yeah yeah yeah. sometimes the space is just open like you would like an installation at a museum you can come in wherever you want stay as long as you want there will be some members of this listening squad in there kind of working out the gym and there to sort of be with you, but it's very, you kind of map your own time arc through it. And then there are, I think we're doing five total shows and these are also um, activated spaces where the audience is working the circuit with us, um, but they are more collective experiences. So folks there will come, the shows start, the evening shows start at 7.30, we'll all gather together, 
will come inside. Um, the, the, the guides or the kind of facilitators with me, we, we will work the circuit. Perform, I will perform animal. There will be these moments of kind of more witnessing and, and, and listening from that space of stillness. And there will be these moments where the crowd is really invited as they wish unforced participation. These things are really beautiful also to just watch somebody else do, but whoever's got the spirit and who's ever got the urge and wants to come up and try one or roll underneath this thing or put their hand or their, their body on them, they're, they're there as an invitation and as an offering. Well, thank you so much for your time, Ash Fury. I am yeah. so excited by this. Thank you, Maurice, for uh, priming the pump for this conversation. <laughs> You're very yeah, welcome. my apologies for being a few minutes late, oh, guys. Fine. Um, Maurice, yeah. Maurice was a great you. He really Amazing. was. Amazing. <laughs> so, Babs, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. Uh, so, we've got a listening gym on the 25th. We also have performances on the 26th and 27th. On the 26th and 27th, the well, our 21 and up pub on the lower level will also be open from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. So, I think before or after, um, before or after Ash Fury's performances. You can meet me and grab a drink down. Oh, I love it. Oh, you don't say less. Say less. <laughs> I'm good. Well, I'm looking forward to this. I'm going to look at my calendar and figure out when I could get one of these performances experiences in because now Amazing. my interest is peaked. Thank you, Ash Fury. You are so talented. I appreciate you so much. And I can't wait to meet you to, uh, in just a couple of days. Yes. Thank you, Maurice. I'll see you at Thank the you well. <laughs> Take yeah. care. All right. Enjoy your Monday. Bye. This was good. All right. So I, I guess I'm going to look at my calendar and figure out what I'm going to do. In the meantime, uh, I'm on my way out. Thank you, Harry Droz. Tomorrow, uh, I do believe there is a guest. Uh, oh, Harry, Sylvester Saldet, uh, Salcido is coming on. It's Fil Filipino Heritage Month. Remember Phil, uh, Sylvester? So he's coming on tomorrow morning at 10 15. And we're going to talk about Filipino Heritage Month. So uh, tune in tomorrow. I'll be back. I'll see y'all. Mm -hmm.